0: China? What do they even say? <laughs> what is this Chinese rap music? What? Sounds like they're just saying Ching My chance to go watch Mad in China. We play ping pong, pong. in China.
1: Hello and welcome to China Econ Talk. I'm your host Jordan Schneider here today with Sub China columnist Mark Dreyer. Today we're going to be talking about the economics and government influence in Chinese sports culture. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show today. That's great to be here. Uh, uh, Fantastic. So, Mark, what has been your favorite few sports, spectator sports experience since you moved to China pre-Olympics? I mean, you mentioned the Olympics,
0: and I have to start there. Uh, there were a few highlights, but definitely the number one was... Uh, I mean, there's a bit of a story. Uh, I guess we got some time. Uh, um, so... Uh, As a Brit who, uh, I'm actually half Canadian, I was working as an accredited journalist for uh, Canadian TV, CBC. Now, as a journalist at the Olympics, you get a media pass, so you can go to any events when you're not working. And you work typically very long hours. But the 100 meters was, uh, the 100 meters men's final was something that I was off for. And I called a few friends and I was like, hey, uh, where do you want to watch it? And I'd forgotten that my friend, who, who had watched a lot of the stuff, with he had actually had a ticket, so he was in the stadium. So, oh now I'm going to have to watch it by myself. Uh, and then he said, "Well, the media area looks kind of empty now. <laughs> it normally it normally there's it, there's a lot of seats available for media, but for the big events, of which the hundred meters uh, final is one, you need a separate ticket. But there'd just been a big rainstorm, and I think the walk from the uh, the media broadcast center." to the, the Bird's Nest Stadium, I think I'd put a lot of people off. Ah. And this was about half an hour beforehand. So I jumped in taxi, got into the stadium 10 minutes before the race. I was off, so you know, grabbed a beer on the way in, and uh, just waltzed down to, uh, to, the, to the front of the section. It was in the fourth row. I sat next to uh, Steve Redgrave, who uh, is, a, is a legend of Olympic and British rowing won uh, five gold medals. The, the renowned um,
1: Steve Redgrave. There you course. go, Sir Steve,
0: uh, as he's now known. Uh, and, uh, and he was there as, a, as a basically a color commentator for, for the BBC, but he was off as well. So there I was, drinking beer with Sir Steve, fourth row, basically down the 80 meters, down the 100 meter straight, right about the moment where Usain Bolt starts to celebrate early and I always joke and say, well, he turned and looked to the crowd. He's basically looking right at me where I was. Starts to celebrate early and still broke the world record. Um, and that was a race that people still talk about. And I, I
1: certainly remember it. And and how about this recent uh, Mavericks game? Yeah, so, so, so
0: more recently, I mean, I've been to a lot. I've probably seen, well, I've seen a lot of sports over the years in in China. But um, yeah, one, just last month, NBA preseason games, uh, every... Every season, uh, before the season kicks off back in the States, two of the teams come over to Greater China. This year, it was uh, Shanghai and Shenzhen, the two games. And it was basically a, a full-level NBA experience. Now, people in in the States, if they're listening there, might be like, well, so what? You know, we get that all the time. But honestly, putting on a production of that kind of quality is no mean feat in China. Sure. Um, and if they've been to some of the other sporting events at the under end of the uh, the Entertainment scale, should we say? They'll understand just how hard it is. But it was it was fantastic. It was everything that you'd expect from a, from an NBA game, and the crowd. I mean, every seat was absolutely full until the very very end for a preseason game. Yeah, I mean one. The experience was great,
1: but but that shows you basketball is is a big big thing here. Sure. So maybe let's start and talk about the evolution of basketball as well as the CBA in China. So so can we talk about the the, the evolution of the players and and Yao Ming's role? Sure.
0: Well well Yao Ming was not the first Chinese player to uh, to play in the NBA. That was uh, Wang Zhezhe, who played for the Dallas Mavericks a few years before him. Um, and the Mavericks kind of actually, you know, it was, it was interesting that they were here again this summer. They've sort of kept a bit of a Chinese connection through through that. There have now been six Chinese players, I believe, to have played in the NBA. But Yao Ming, by far the, the most famous, uh, by, had by far the longest career and, and a most impressive career as, as NBA All-Star as well. And of course, you know, everyone, if you have to name a Chinese person, uh, period. period. Yeah, people are not going for the politicians. They're not. They're not plucking Xi Jinping unless they're into global politics. Yao Ming is 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 probably at the top of that list alongside Jackie Chan, isn't he? So he hasn't played for a long time. But basketball was popular before he he played for the Rockets. But he really kind of took the sport into the stratosphere. Sure. Um, and that cemented the NBA as the absolute top league here. Soccer is is probably equally popular. But there's lots of different leagues. There's the German league, the Italian league, the British league, the Spanish league, you know, and so on. So, and of course, the Chinese league, as, yeah. as there is as there is in in basketball. But yes, he uh, has has really changed a lot both with his time on court for the Rockets and the Rockets now widely known as China's team because of Yao. But but now in his in his new role as the head of the CBA,
1: he has been trying to push through. Effectively, he's trying to modernize the sport. Sure. So it's been an interesting experience for me, just kind of playing pickup basketball, seeing what jerseys people are wearing, chatting with people about the NBA. The the knowledge level here is unbelievable. And, you know, in classes, people are streaming the games in the mornings because, you know, 9 a.m. here is 9 p.m. on the East Coast, right? But when I ask folks if they go to CBA games, if they follow the Beijing team— I get laughs. Basically, why would we watch this inferior product? You know, the NBA is so great. There's no Steph Curry running around with the Beijing Ducks, right? But this is something that Yao Ming, over the past two years, I guess now he's been put in charge of the Chinese Basketball Association and has really been tasked with bringing it up to a standard closer to the, the NBA. But it seems like he's encountered a lot of uh, a resistance on that path. Is that true?
0: Yes, absolutely. I mean, he is—he's uh, a very well-respected. Figure both on and off the court. Uh, It obviously helps that he's uh, (laughs) seven foot six. Sure, Uh, but you know he went back to school. He 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 got a I I think a master's. He's he's part of uh, one of the larger political bodies here, so he sort of attended important meetings. All the officials, of course, know who he is, but they've met him as well. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, but he has that presence just because he's he played for for you know close to a decade in the NBA, so he knows how the best league in the world in terms of certainly in that sport should be run and how it's run. And so everyone kind of trusts him that that what he's trying to do is is for the benefit of China. He's seen it, you know, he's a, he's a loyal Chinese guy, but also... You know, he, he, he has that Western
1: experience. Sure. No, it's interesting. You wrote that, to quote Yao, Chinese basketball has no so-called biggest problem, but problems everywhere. And a lot of the reforms that when he initially came in, there was a lot of pushback within the within the association. You wrote that he had three major suggestions when he first came in. Divide the league into two conferences, increase the number of games for each team. Right now, it's 38, which is pretty low compared to the NBA's 82, right? And shorten the trade training period for the national team and adopt a system used by the NBA where you know the best players only play for a few weeks as opposed to being plucked out of their team for months and months on ends as well as resh- shorten the court time of non-chinese asian players so the sort of tier 2 not ex nba guys but you know these other these other folks running around but the response was cba officials saying that yao's reforms are quote not suited to china's national circumstances you know so there is definitely a deep state in the uh, Chinese basketball universe, it seems, that Yao's had uh, to, to fight off to, to increase the standard of the CBA.
0: Yeah, and it's, n- it's certainly not as simple in China as just saying, well, okay, everyone kind of agrees we need to reform it. Who's the guy to do it? We all agree it's Yao. Sure. It's certainly not a given that he's going to be able to do this. I think there were 19 vice presidents uh, who were still there when he was brought in. None of them were basketball people. And they all have their own entrenched interests not necessarily fighting against everything he's trying to do but I mean that gives you an idea like he's not bringing in his his own cleaning house like he's he's trying to go around and above these people and it's just not that easy he has had some successes um and certainly in terms of commercializing the league but bringing in some some new deals and that all helps but but there's a draft now. Yes, that's exciting. Uh, no, no, it's good. Uh, but but I think with with a lot of sports, the the problem is China has had certain amount of success in sports, um, largely in the Olympics, and this has been a problem because the places where China has had uh, success is typically in the individual sports where you can just drill people again and again and again. Diving is the perfect example. Sure, diving you're supposed to do the same thing repeatedly a thousand times or a million times and at the end of it if you have enough people doing this you pick the best and they'll win olympic gold yeah. now that is a system a tried and tested system for china that has produced gold after gold at the olympics but that mentality does not work at all when it comes to the team sports so you it's know a- the the over of players like ruins players like so young basketball prospects the last thing they should be doing is you know training three times a day. But that's sometimes what they're up against in the Chinese youth systems
1: here. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, though, because people always use this example. Oh, these Chinese gymnasts. Oh, these Chinese divers, these Chinese swimmers, um, where they get drilled, you know, the life gets drilled out of them. But, you know, and they're they're secluded and their parents die, but no one tells them until after the big tournament or whatever. But at the same time, I mean, racket sports is, is while not a team sport, something that Definitely needs more sort of creative flair and style and the and the success that's that China's been able to pump out in terms of badminton players and and table tennis players is is something I think worth noting. Is there anything different in 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 those systems that that maybe has can account for the the success in in those in those areas? Well just go back to
0: to one of the things you mentioned in terms of having the life drilled out of them. And and I think there has been a change amongst the public that that says, you know, this this win at all costs, this gold at all cost mentality it isn't necessarily great for the country moving forward because they've, they've uh, you know, reached a later stage. And so actually the state, you know, uh, training schools for all these sports have actually found some problems recruiting. Uh, they used to go to all the villages in the rural areas. So and, interesting. Well, it, yeah. And it was a big honor. But now parents are thinking like, well, to be honest, the chance of my kid becoming Olympic champion are pretty small. And, and I'll just tell you one story. I remember I covered the London Olympics as well in, in 2012. I'm blanking on the name of, the, of the, per, the person, but it was a young Chinese girl who I think got a bronze medal. Could have the details wrong. But but the, the, the main part of the story was, you know, she was asked by a Western journalist, just usual press conference questions. Oh, you know, what's your background, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, were your parents happy? She goes, I don't know. I haven't spoken to them uh, yet. And they go, were they, were they watching? And she goes, I don't know. Yeah. She actually said, I don't know. She Like, she was taken away. And she, she was 15 or 16. She, like, secluded in training camp for such a long time. I uh, didn't even know if her parents were, were, were watching her win an Olympic medal. Yeah. It was just astounding. It was such a sad moment. Because the journalist wasn't trying to trip her up. It was just sort of making but, you yeah, know, but, wait, but, a bit, you know, You're like hardball questions so, at a 15-year-old, ooh, right? Wow,
1: that, that was, yeah, that was, that was a, you know, a sucker punch. Sure. Uh, So so let's now turn to policy number 46, released in October 2014, which seems to have been a seminal moment in the evolution of sports as an industry in China. So what was this document and what was the impact it had? Well, this was effectively the moment in China where sports became part of the
0: wider economy. Um, It was coming off a stage where the economy was was, was slowing down after years and years of double-digit growth. And China was looking for new economic drivers for growth. Now they looked at the states and saw uh, all these big TV deals with the NFL and the NBA, and saw that the sports, the wider sports industry with Nike and all these other big firms, are roughly accounting for three percent of US GDP. Now in China it was a, it was a fraction of one percent. So they thought, well, here's an area where we can develop from scratch, and it can be a legitimate new driver for growth. Sure. And it ticks all the boxes. That, that the government wanted at the time and still today wants. It helps them rebalance the economy towards domestic consumption. If you have people playing sports, they're buying tickets to events, they're buying uh, gear. They you know they're playing sports, the coaching and and all this sort of stuff. It's a healthier population, a happier population, and a more successful population on the on the sports field. So there's nothing you know it's a win-win. China loves China loves a win-win, but this really is a win-win of course if they can get it to work. So sure. this was the moment where they effectively kind of declared in writing that they wanted to develop the sports industry and they targeted creating the biggest sports industry in the world by 2025 worth 5 billion uh, 5 trillion, sorry, 5 trillion RMB about 800 billion US dollars. And sure, uh, why not? Yeah, <laughs> why not? <laughs> um and so as a result, a lot of people started to, to think about sports and investing in sports because uh, it was both seen as politically smart, but also financially smart, if this was going to be the next big boom area. And so what we saw is probably three main uh, areas of growth in, in sort of three waves, I, I should say. The first one is in March 2015, there was a 50-point plan to reform Chinese soccer, uh, and that helped, uh, well, it has, we've seen some significant changes at Particularly at the top end of the professional game. Since then, then shortly afterwards, China won the rights to host the 2022 Winter Olympics, and so winter sports has has seen a big growth stage since then. And that's continuing, and, and then we've also seen a sort of a, just a wider thing, partly driven by government policy, but also I think just change uh, driven by social changes as people have tried to embrace becoming healthier, realizing that that uh, study is not uh, the be all and end all of of human existence uh, for themselves and for their children. So we've seen social trend of, of people getting into sports. So more people running, more people doing uh, you know marathons and
1: triathlons and swimming and sure. so on. So let's, let's now turn to some of the recent developments in the Chinese Super League. So one of the big standout things that have probably caught the most headlines in the west has been these enormous contracts of kind of aging but still pretty enormous uh, stars who've made it who've made it big in top european leagues coming here making you know 20 30 40 million dollars for a for a year or two so what were the drivers of these enormous contracts and how has the league tried to pull back on this uh, what they see as uh, rampant spending
0: there have been some some older stars here, but China has generally tried to recruit players still in their 20s, still in their prime. Sure. Um, it. I think the league, as much as it is due criticism in many areas, uh, I think it does get a bit of a harsh rap when it comes to this because the MLS in the States, for example, was kind of seen as this graveyard for players. So Wayne Rooney is the latest, you know, he... Basically, was sort of retirement fading. home. Come retirement on, home. Let me grieve A little harsh. <laughs> sure. Well, okay. Retirement <laughs> home for the you know the thirty fives and above. Yeah. Um, whereas again, you know, Oscar came from Chelsea uh, and he was still a very very good player. He was twenty six, I think, when he came, and, and, and a few others have also fit that bill. But it comes from the uh, this going back to the policy document that sparked uh, a big wave. Um, in fact, we won't go into the details. But basically, when the the CSL TV rights were renegotiated shortly afterwards. The new deal was worth 20 times what the previous deal had been worth. And so clubs are suddenly that much richer. Mm. And they're thinking, well, the only way is up. You know, we're just at the beginning of this, of this boom cycle. And so suddenly they're feeling a lot more flush. And the government has said, hey, go buy some players. Uh, effectively that's what they're hearing with this green light for for sports sure and Xi Jinping known to be a, a soccer guy and so suddenly they' they're they're trying to outspend each other there's definitely a little bit of the uh, the bosses of of the companies and it's large real estate companies uh, often involved and and you know trying to outspend each other with with the the biggest wage packet and the and the, the biggest transfer signing so that was getting attention we also saw some outbound investment with Chinese groups uh, buying clubs overseas. Now, quite rightly, I think you have to say the government realized that neither of these two things particularly benefited Chinese football. Uh, if you judge, and there's many ways to judge Chinese football, but if you have a, a system that is working, you should have a national team that is, that is, that is improving and, and playing well and doing well on, on, a, on a global level. China is one of the world leaders in many different areas. In soccer, it most certainly is not. Sure. Um, and so it looked at this well, how does buying a club in Europe help Chinese soccer? You know, it, it, there's, there's incremental, there's, there's small amounts of synergies, perhaps, if you're involved also in soccer back here, but basically it doesn't. Um, also, the, getting the big stars, well, it helps attract some attention to the game, but, uh, you know, unless. Maybe there's a little bit of skill that the you know that, rubs the teammates off, rubs yeah. off. You know the teammates are picking up something in training, but they can they can learn from 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 coaches as well. So it's just huge amounts of money that would be far better spent on youth academies or better pitches, better stadiums, better everything. Uh, and so quite rightly, it moved to stop all these things. I've compared in the past Chinese soccer to to a, a super tanker, like an oil tanker. Okay, once. It's set off in a direction. It's very hard to course correct. And so what we've seen is extremely heavy-handed moves to try to stop these policies, which weren't really the initial uh, intentions ahead of time. But they should have thought of this before they made the, you know, before they issued the policy, before they allowed all these moves to happen. They should have thought it didn't take a genius. And this is not using the benefit of hindsight, but so many things that the CSL um, and the CFA, the Chinese Football Association, have done
1: uh, to correct moves. They they should have been able to to predict. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a fascinating example like like Shayo uh, Due right? Where all of a sudden you see the government or the see that these enormous things are happening, and and as you've written about, they they change the regulations in a way that they think can get around it. But all of a sudden, the clubs are creative enough to to figure out ways to to keep signing these players on different transfer agreements or. Or you know, come up with ways. I think my favorite one. You talked about how um, there was a regulation where they had to play you know under twenty-three Chinese players on the national team at least uh, at least every game. And what would they do? Um, They'd bring them on in extra time for two or three minutes, right? I mean, it's it's clear that people are responding to incentives, and the regulators either aren't tough enough or, or don't understand that you need to. Uh, make things in the spirit, not the letter of the law. I mean, it's 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 really interesting the dynamic between the the soccer powers that be and the and the clubs themselves.
0: And it's so frustrating sometimes to watch because for all the for all the good intentions, for all you know, I talked about the policy document, which which was a fifty point document, which was very very sensible. For all of that, you know, for example, uh, just this week, Shanghai SIPG won the uh, the Chinese Super League. Uh, for the first time in their history, it was the first time in eight years that Guangzhou Evergrande have not won the title. So this was a big moment. And the Chinese media now, the state media, have been proclaiming Wu Lei, who's one of their star strikers, uh, who scored a ton of goals, and he's great. He played very, very well. It's, they're saying, well, this is vindication of the club's youth policy. Now, Wu Lei is 26. He's not, he's not bound by these under-23 rules. And they were specifically referring to the increased time of the Chinese young players this year versus last year. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with Lei. It's, sure. it's like, you know, it's just, again, so nothing will change because it's it's people trying to give credit to the misguided policies that were brought in and now trying to justify. There was another, the, the People's Daily were, were saying that uh, the three party members were in uh, in the Shanghai team. Were basically leading the charge this season. I mean, it's absolute nonsense.
1: <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the um, the, the final clinching game and uh, the the sort of missed opportunity that the league had to, to, to promote itself? So um,
0: the unofficial attendance, they still it, it, it takes a few days for them to, to confirm attendances, was about just a little bit under nineteen thousand uh, as uh, Shanghai SIPGB Beijing Renhe. Two one. There was two games left in the season. They only needed one point to claim the title. So everyone was expecting them to to clinch the title. They had a big trophy celebration on the on the pitch afterwards. So it wasn't a big surprise. And this was the first time in the club's uh, pretty short history that they were able to to do this. And again, the first time in almost a decade that we've had a new winner of the Chinese Super League. So this should be celebrated. You know, it should be an absolutely packed attendance. And as one of the more recent clubs, they don't perhaps have the, the history of, of some of the other CSL clubs, but there's certainly enough people who would have to, filled, to fill a stadium. A stadium. Sure. But in all their wisdom, the officials said, you know what, we're going to restrict this to season ticket holders only. So the, the stadium for what should be one of the biggest nights in the history of the Chinese Super League— was one-third full, almost exactly one-third full.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it's
0: such a waste.
1: Again, like, the context being that the Shanghai Expo is going on, lots of people gathering, let They just let's see that not- oh, this is
0: an inconvenience, this is bad. People, you know, football fans can't be trusted. People get to big... Too many people in one place is a bad thing. You know, based on some of the other decisions we've seen over the last years, to be honest... Fans can probably be, be thankful that the match even took place. Mm. You know, it wasn't cancelled or postponed for a for a month or something stupid. Uh, but it was such a wasted opportunity, as you said. You know, imagine all the kids that could have been part of this moment and been fans for life. Sure. Fans of the sports, fans of the team, uh, you know, Chinese fans, instead of all the, the soccer fans who say who who still to still today laugh and say, No, I don't support a Chinese uh super league team uh, they they're all terrible, I still follow German and Italian and Spanish and English football, yeah, I um, mean you know this is a chance to really develop. The fan culture and it's just that's I it's so frustrating.
1: Going to a CSL game, I think, is a real encapsulation of of the promise as well as the challenges that are facing Chinese uh, domestic spectator sports today. Because on the one hand, you see the passion. I mean, there are people screaming their lungs out who are clearly, you know, thousands and thousands at these Guoan games in in Beijing, which I've been to, screaming their lungs out. You know, have incredible amounts of passion and and really love the sport and love their team. And but at the same time, uh, the spectator experience is rough right I mean the food is cold um, the, <laughs> if, the, if, if there's the, any at all yeah. the sodas are pre poured out and are no longer bubbly by the second half it's a tough environment and I think they're uh, I don't think it's you know it's it's a it's an interesting contrast because on the one hand you're spending 40 million dollars on these players but but the fan but the investment in the uh, in certain other aspects of the fan experience are really lacking.
0: Not just a fan experience. I'll give you another example of where money is just is is sort of misdirected. Going back to to a, there was a game uh, with one of the top foreign stars uh, in Shanghai, and he was in a fairly clumsy tackle with a Chinese player. Uh, it wasn't particularly malicious; it was just a bit awkward. Uh, and he had a very nasty. It's Demba Bar, his name is, um, and uh, he played in the prim, in the English Premier League. You know, a really top 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 level player for China in particular. Had a bad leg break. It was pretty nasty, and people thought you know that he might never play again. But the way I looked at it, it looked like he sort of stubbed his toe in in kind of a divot on the field, on the pitch. Yeah. Right. wasn't It wasn't a bad, malicious challenge from 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 the opposition player. The week after, they miraculously decided that they'd relay the pitch, and uh, it came out that it hadn't been relayed in something like five years. Yeah. And it also came out. That between games, midweek games, they'd been using it as a golf driving range. Oh Jesus! So no wonder there were divots all over the field, oh, no. like actual golf <laughs> divots. I mean, it was just, just ret- <laughs> you know, you're spending all this money buying the player and then paying their wages and their, their medical bills, and, and it's you, wasted. You don't want to spend the the five thousand quid. to, to put be some more grass than that. Down. But but like still, it's just oh, social sighted.
1: Sure. So another one of these kind of short-sighted things, I think, comes back to the national team and the way that they're organized. So, so recently, uh, you wrote about how the national team were pulled for all their leagues for like a three-month-long seclusion Training camp again, and comparing this to the experience of of Western and South America, and basically every other um, national team in the world is basically they play ninety percent of their games, ninety percent of their time, and their development is with these club teams, um, where they get this really great coaching and and this and they play along alongside uh, top quality talent uh, and competition. But this is not something that. The Chinese system is really embraced. So, what's what's going on here in the relationship between the, um, uh, the the state and the and the national team? So, so just to give a little bit of
0: explanation of what happened is is they've been trying to promote the development of of Chinese young players. Now, this is one hundred percent a good thing. Sure, but there are ways to do it and ways not to do it. Um, you don't force. We talked about the quota system where people are coming in. Uh, for the final few minutes of the game or sometimes starting the game and then being subbed off within about ten minutes. Even We've more seemed, humiliating. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> like, with no with no injury, no no Well, you know, no, no, even pretense that it was a strategical change. There are ways to to incentivize teams to do this and to develop their own players rather than just forced to 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 tick a box. So what they did, there's been a focus on on under twenty three players, and then this training camp was for under twenty five players, and they and they pulled out fifty five players from across the leagues while the season was still going on. It still it still hasn't finished, so I think there were six games to go. And this has a significant impact on the league. Teams might be relegated because they're missing some starters who have been pulled at a moment's notice. It was They were given about three days warning. Wait. And of course, absolutely no choice in the matter sure. that they had to go and do this training camp. So it tells you a few things. But, but most importantly, that the people who are making these decisions have absolutely no idea about the sport because it's just nonsensical. There's, there's no... I, I, I can't even... Sometimes, sometimes you can find creative ways where this can perhaps be seen as a positive.
1: Yeah, um, you know, but like I said, the development of you know, young these players, guys are running what like two marathons every other day a, or something. Yes, were, I mean, it, it's basically it's a it's an interesting mindset thing where presumably you can imagine the thought process of oh wow we've had these really embarrassing losses like six out of Wales or whatever. So what we need to be, do yeah, train them is yeah. is is we got to work these guys yes. know, or we got to show that we're working yeah. these guys. Um, and it,
0: it's reverting back to the to the individual kind of the old style. Uh, state-run system that does work, that has worked in the individual sports in the Olympics, but just doesn't work in soccer. You know, if you're stamping out, basically stifling out uh, creativity And and again, this this might be a bit far-fetched, but for me, I think there's something in it. Earlier this year, all the players were basically banned from displaying any tattoos visibly. So if they had tattoos on their arms or legs, they had to cover them up.
1: Yeah, this is post Jungo uh, Yoshiha, 中国, uh, the first season, I guess. Um, there was a crackdown on anything hip-hop related, which then extended to tattoos, which then leads us to the Chinese soccer team, as you wrote, I think, wearing bandages over their arms.
0: Yes, now... I'm not saying that having tattoos makes you a better player. Um, but it, it hasn't, it, you know, Lionel Messi has a whole arm and a whole leg full of tattoos. So it clearly hasn't affected him. Uh, World Player of the Year countless times. As a soccer player, you need to be able to express yourself on the pitch. You need to have that creativity. You need to have that freedom to, to try something of a bit different. If, if everyone knows what you're going to do with the ball... It's gonna be pretty easy to play against you. You have to have players that think a bit differently that can that can be creative. And if you're stifling out every ounce of creativity, whether it's covering up tattoos, whether it's uh forcing them to shave their heads for a military training camp and, and run a marathon a day, how on earth are they expected to to suddenly miraculously be these these great players? Yeah. You know, you can't just overtrain and, and make them better athletes than than the other countries. It doesn't work that way. Like sport has moved on light years from that from that way of thinking but these are still the decisions being made and so that shows you who's in charge
1: yeah i mean it's it's really interesting because on the one hand it is very clear that people on the top at the top uh of the uh, party system care enormously about this yeah i mean i think i think the uh the the celebrations and the national pride coming from china qualifying for the for the world cup what was that for the uh Uh, South Korea World Cup was this this enormous, enormous um, national outpouring. And the government, you know, she is personally a soccer fan, and I think understands the connection between, you know, national pride and and, and, and national soccer. But uh, at the same time, the attention that this brings from the government's perspective is likely doing more harm than good. There are clearly negative side effects to all of this pressure um and all this money and all this attention that the um that the powers that be within the uh within the government are bringing onto the soccer system
0: yeah i mean let let, let me make it clear like i want to see chinese soccer chinese sports succeed i'm not trying to tear it down but it it can be so as i said frustrating to watch because some of this stuff is is just common sense yeah um you know it's 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 not. It's, it's really not rocket science. Yeah, I mean, you've got to start with young players and train them for a generation, and hope that they can be. There are no shortcuts to this, and you can't suddenly like, well, we can train them twice as fast, and they'll be they'll become better twice as quickly. Like, no, you can't. That will destroy a player, and you're starting from scratch again. So, for all the pronouncements about well, we have this goal for 2035 and for for 2050, which is good on paper. Suddenly, when it comes to the implementation, they're looking for these shortcuts. And there is no long-term thinking again. So finally, it felt like those at the top were getting it. Other countries have done this. Japan has has done this, and and they've put in a long-term process, and it's worked. And they are now a pretty decent team, much better consistently than China. Sure, but China still can't do it. And and as I become slightly less optimistic each each year, because. You know, as much as there is progress being made, there's also some backward steps.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you have you know th- there are there are these economists who do these great regressions of like a country's GDP and its size, and then like where that would uh, leave you on like the, based on those factors to to like in the in the global uh, soccer rankings, right? China is really big. And really rich. There is no there. The only reason, and a lot of people love the sport, right? So the only reasons at the end of the day are structural for for the lack of success. So 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 watching this is, I think, a, a fascinating window into understanding China and the and the particular neuroses of the government. Watching how they 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 interact and in meddle with the with the soccer system. And what's interesting is that like with certain things, there's such an objective check on how it's going right you know there are these games and they're playing other countries like you can't cheat on this you can't like steal intellectual property and then like you know magically leap forward right so so having this barometer um is a fascinating uh, window into the 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 relative progress or lack thereof and even even then you know
0: what we see in china they play some relatively good teams and they get hammered yeah so then they play india that was the most recent game we've seen uh and india are way down the rankings you know, they should, they're not learning anything from playing India. It's, yeah. it's a total waste of time. You know, they, they should be playing these better teams and, and forcing themselves to, to, to get better. But of course, the leadership don't like China losing. And so they, you know, an edict presumably is passed down or a decision's made that they think will please someone somewhere. Um, but I, I think, and you say it's a fascinating window. I, I think there are, there are some parallels. You look at, for example, when we had the, the stock market, boom and bust a few years back sure you know as much as they were saying well you know what we're gonna let the stock market go uh but as soon as as soon as things get a little bit too bad they revert to type and then suddenly it's not a free market anymore and they have you know the national teams basically buying the uh, the 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 stocks to to stop the slide sure um and as much as those in in the the sports area do appear at times to have kind of grasp what they need to do and take this long-term initiative when it doesn't quite work immediately again revert to type and sort of dig in and and do it the old-fashioned way and that just undoes all the good work so quickly
1: sure so uh closing on a perhaps less depressing note let's talk a little bit about the growth and evolution of fitness as a thing mm. in china definitely uh, walking around beijing in the bu- in the building uh, we had lunch in today there is a trampoline exercise <laughs> uh, class where you bounce up and down on these 3 foot diameter things i mean it 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 does seem both in 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 first-tier cities as well as uh third and fourth year cities i visited that gyms and fitness is becoming uh much more a part of kind of like bourgeois life here so so what's behind this trend and if you have any numbers on it and 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 sense of the drivers uh one number uh, that i that i can recall i remember in in 2011
0: there were 22 marathons or marathon-like road races in in china Mm -hmm. and uh six years later in 2017 there were more than 400 wow um and and that growth has continued certainly through this year and 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 beyond and just just anecdotally you never used to see people you know running in the parks in beijing or in the evening and now you see them all the time all these gyms have popped up fitness gyms you know spin classes crossfit um i don't know how how much growth we're seeing Or not uh, in perhaps more interior areas of China, but but certainly in in the 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 wealthier areas, it's a massive drive, and I think there's a lot of reasons for this. But one is, it's uh, people are kind of proud uh, running, for example. You see on WeChat. Everyone runs and then they share the map that they've run. You've probably seen this countless times. It's a very shareable activity. Mm -hmm. It's not a particularly sociable thing. It can be. You can run in groups, but often when people could just go running by themselves... They're doing it by themselves, but then they're kind of telling everyone, and they're, they're sort of proud to do it. Sure. So it's not it's not a boastful thing. It's but it also puts a little bit of pressure on themselves, and it puts a little bit of pressure on their friends. Uh, and generally, I think it's it's a more acceptable, it's more well regarded that people want to be healthier, they want to be seen uh, to be healthy, they want to show people that they are, um, you know, being active. And this is definitely a change, and this will have a dramatic effect on the next generation because it was all about. You know, with with 10 million students graduating every year or more, you know, all about the Gaokao and how well you could do, sports was just seen as a distraction, mm-hmm. right? Uh, why would you do sports after school when you could do extra t- 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 tutorials? But now people are seeing the value. Uh, and and everything, for, you're more likely, for example, to get a, a scholarship to the US, which is still the prized goal for for a child's education. Sure. If you have outside interests, you know, there's no point just being an academic robot. It doesn't matter how good your grades are. That's not going to get you there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's also a a, a real marker of a of a white collar society, mm-hmm. right? Forty years ago, in China, you know, why would you pay to exercise? Your <laughs> job is working in a factory or farming, right? Yeah. And and the more you know, sedentary white collar lives that people adopt, the more um, you know, people have their first backaches and, and their eyes had, hurt, and of course and had the
0: morning routines, you know, gym class. Five minutes every day in the morning.
1: Yeah, so um, uh, So it, it is. It is fascinating seeing this trend really come into its own in China. And and I'm sure there are there there will be. Um, I think my favorite gym class with Chinese characteristics I've had. Well, it's interesting because like you don't really see like a tai chi class. That's in one of these special gyms, but some like some more Japanese-inspired stuff. You'd see like a kendo class, like a that sort of stuff. MMA is also something that seems to have been uh, uh, taking off more and more and more boxing gyms. Maybe talk a little bit about the um, the, the tension between you know uh, one fighting championship and UFC in China and and, and the rise of these uh, these combat sports here here on the mainland.
0: Well, it's not so much the tension between them. It's it's more just. The maturity of the sports market. Sure. Um, everyone knows about the potential for the Chinese market just because of the size. But really, from from a from a sport perspective, particularly a new sport coming in, it's how quickly can you monetize? Are you able to monetize, and how quickly can you do that? So, how much should you be investing, spending, um, and what kind of returns can you get, and how quickly can you get them? I and mean, we've seen, as as we said, uh, online sports. Uh, platforms effectively go bust because they've overspent because they have looked at the the big boom um, and just thought that it was going to be bigger than it was. Uh, they've got the they've got the trend cor- uh, right, There's nothing wrong with that. But there's been a bit of a correct and and they they would overstretched and so yeah. so Le Sports is, is the one I'm talking about. You know, basically lost all their. The TV rights.
1: Yeah, it's interesting thinking about the NBA. I mean, they basically had decades of free advertising yeah. because people would, yep. you know, watch their games for free streaming online or these pirated uh, channels that actually went out on CCTV. But, you know, it was so early that, you know, they didn't feel like they were losing all that much. But now, if you're One Sports or UFC and you want to break into the kind of media feeds of Chinese c- customers, you're going to have to pay money and advertise to, to get yourself noticed. And
0: Chinese Sports fans, unfortunately, don't really like to pay big money to watch sports events. Sure. Yeah, uh, the concert tickets uh, are generally far more expensive uh, and and get full houses than 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 the sports events. Interesting. You know, for example, CSL games. There's, it's pretty hard to buy tickets. Certainly, as a foreigner, it's almost impossible to buy ticket on the website. So you have got to go through the scalpers. But you can get you can get cut price tickets very easily. Even you know, apart from the the few games that are sold out. Um, but if you're coming from from a, from a Western perspective, for example, boxing with a big pay per view model and the tickets to these big fights,
1: thousands of dollars, thousands
0: yeah. of dollars. I mean, the the uh, the, the Mayweather McGregor uh, sort of cross discipline fight was streamed for free in China because they were just happy for anyone to watch it. Yeah, but it was uh, I forget how much it was. it was yes, Hundred something, 100, whatever. Hundred bucks in, in the states and 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 something similar in in you know in the UK and elsewhere. So sure. yes, people. Are starting to pay for content, but not that much. And the question is, how much will they be prepared to pay and how quickly?
1: Sure. And and particularly for stuff that they're not familiar with. There are no Chinese stars in these disciplines yep. yet. Right. It's 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 generally it's interesting because on the one hand, people say, oh, like as soon as as soon as we get the next Yao Ming and X Sport, then um you know, then then it's going to blow up. It's a bit of a chicken or, or an egg problem, yeah. right? Yeah. On the one hand, you know, you can, quote unquote, manufacture a Yao Ming by having someone, um, you know, incredibly tall who's skilled, Um but a lot of these other sports, it's it's not that easy, right? Particularly these ones that aren't as uh, routine dominated, like the like the gymnastics and diving of the world. So it really takes you know millions of Chinese kids being interested um, and playing for fun and having the right coaching to create that next um, that next superstar in uh, in MMA, in in soccer and in, in what have you. But if you don't have that interest and you don't have people watching the sport all the time, uh, then those kids aren't going to be the ones to choose whatever sport you're into
0: exactly i, I think there's too much focus sometimes on you finding the next Yaming, and the next lina or whoever it is because you're not going to find another Yaming. i mean he was he was one of the tallest people that the world has ever seen sure. like on the planet um but you can have another chinese basketball player in the nba um you know there is one who, who's on the fringes he's a young kid on the fringes of the rockets team joe chi right now uh, in his early 20s a, you know, hit, uh, there's no reason why other players c- can't can't develop. Um, so it is creating that you're not you. Uh, the business model for for none of the, for the sports should not be to try and win the lottery with a Yao Ming. It sure. should be to create that interest, and that organic interest will naturally produce Chinese players.
1: Mark, thanks so much for coming on China Econ Talk. It's been a pleasure. China Econ Talk is edited by Jason McRonald and Kaiser Guo and is a proud member of the Seneca Network from Sub China. For other great shows on contemporary China, check out the Taishin Seneca Business Brief, the Pan Daily Tech Buzz China, the New Voices Podcast, Ta for Ta, and of course, the Seneca Podcast. Until next week.
0: Yeah, yeah. Lord, 从来不待眼看他们设下的障碍